The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. So Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Lachlan. Thank you, Grace. Oh, good to see you all here. Uh, I presume some of our number who are regularly here are practicing some social distancing, uh, but glad that you have made it as well. Uh, well, is there anything better than happiness? Uh, after all, it is, it is good to be happy. There's research that has shown many of the reasons it's good to be happy. There's plenty of benefits associated with being happy, including a boost to the immune system, which is particularly relevant at the moment, uh, Happiness also has been shown to help combat stress, and there's also evidence that happiness can lead to a longer life expectancy. It's good to be happy. No wonder there are so many people who tell us we should be trying to be happy, and it's important to make decisions based on what makes us happy. Maybe it's worth considering what have you done recently that made you happy, uh, from small things like uh, getting a cup of coffee, uh, or maybe getting a cup of coffee with uh, other people from Bible Shots after we finish, uh, to big things like going on that dream holiday or getting a new car. What have you done recently that made you happy? Of course, a follow-up question could be, did it actually make you as happy as you thought it would? Because there's a good chance that it didn't. Uh, you may have experienced what is called hedonic adaptation, uh, hedonic adaptation. It's when we adapt to the things that give us pleasure. Uh, so things that make us happy actually end up having diminishing returns. They make us less happy over time. And additionally, uh, our base level of happiness will tend to return to normal. Uh, we, uh, we suffer from a thing called hedonic adaptation. It's one of the reasons that there's actually a growing number of voices who warn about the dangers of chasing happiness. But there's other reasons as well. Uh, a woman named Amy Morin, a best-selling author on mental strength, uh, she's observed that uh, when attempts to increase happiness fail, it can actually leave people feeling unhappier than ever before. Or in the Journal of Experimental Psychology General, uh, one study found among American college students uh, who were desperately wanting to be happy, uh, that desire was linked with lower psychological health. And while that finding varied across cultures, it highlights the point that chasing happiness can actually make you less happy. And of course, finally, uh, life circumstances can work against you uh, being able to feel happy. So in the face of uh, droughts, in the face of bushfire, and in the face of pandemic, uh, to take three random examples, it could be harder to feel happy. Uh, happiness is good, but fleeting highs diminishing returns and unstable circumstances make happiness actually a, a poor thing to build your life around. So it raises the question, is there something better than happiness? 
Well, in case you missed Grace's welcome before, uh, welcome to Bible Shots. I'm Lachlan. I work with Grace here at City Bible Forum, and uh, we're glad that you're joining us at Bible Shots, where we take time out of the week to stop and consider what the Bible has to say and what it means for us today. Uh, Not everyone who comes along would say they are a follower of Jesus, though many of us are, uh, but as long as you're willing to consider what the Bible has to say, we're glad to have you along with us. Uh, As we look at the Bible together, I think we actually see it raises uh, bigger questions for us to grapple with. Uh, questions that each of us will grapple with at some point in our lives. And uh, we're in the middle of our series, Songs of the Heart, where we're looking at some of the greatest songs in history, uh, the Psalms. The Psalms are a part of the Bible. They're basically a collection of poems and songs. Uh, But since they've been a source of encouragement and comfort to millions of people across cultures and across generations for thousands of years, I think it's fair to say they're some of the greatest songs in history. Uh, and so as we grapple with some of these big questions of life, it's really worth considering what wisdom do they bring uh, to answering these questions? What wisdom do these ancient songs offer? And today we're looking at Psalm 126 that Grace read out earlier, printed inside your handout, and considering the answer it gives to the question, is there joy that lasts? And we're going to do that in three parts, uh, three parts of the talk. Is there something better than happiness? Joy in a time of barren sadness? And is there lasting joy today? First, is there something better than happiness? Which we've already started to answer. We've already started to see that while happiness is a good thing, there's evidence that chasing happiness can actually have the opposite effect and leave you less happy. Is there anything better than happiness? Of course, there's probably some smarty pants out there who will answer, oh, look, happiness isn't good enough for me. I demand euphoria uh, like Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, I know that those people are out there because typically I am one of them. Uh, And it is a cute response, but it doesn't actually solve any of the problems that we started to see. Uh, So today we're actually going to consider what the Bible calls joy. And I think the Bible's conception of joy is actually unique among the options that are kind of presented to us because as the Bible describes it, joy lasts even through times of barren sadness. Not long after my friend's wife died, he said to me, Lachlan, everything is black, but I can still rejoice. Happy is good, but joy is better because joy can be held onto even in times of barren sadness. And I think that's what we see in Psalm 126. And that's what we're going to do in point two, uh, joy in a time of barren sadness. It's where we're going to be spending the bulk of our time today. And we're going to look at this psalm in three parts. Uh, We're going to see joy anchored in God's past action, a time of barren sadness, and joy anchored in God's planned future. There are three points as we look at the psalm. So there's joy anchored in God's past action. Uh, You can see joy there because the people who were singing were full of joy. They were so full of joy that they were overflowing with laughter and joyful songs. Have a look at those first three verses that were were read out before. It says our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. You can see that there's joy here because the people are full of joy. They are so full that they are overflowing with laughter and joyful songs. I'm sure uh, many of us have a song or a couple of songs that might pop into your head when you think of a joyful song. Uh, If you were here uh, earlier, you might have heard a couple of them playing before uh, we kicked off, but there's the classic Disney tune, Zippity Doodah, 
Zippity A, my oh my, what a wonderful day. Plenty of sunshine heading my way. Zippity doodah, zippity A. Or, of course, more recently, uh, you might recall Pharrell Williams' song, Happy, which repeats the phrase, because I'm happy, and sings, you know, clap along if you feel like a room without a roof. Clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. Clap along if you know what happiness is to you. Clap along if you feel like that's what you want to do. Uh, They're songs that just overflow with emotion, with happiness. They're the sort of songs you would sing when you're loving life. But when you actually look at the lyrics, you know, they don't ground that emotion in anything of substance. The singer just happens to feel that way. And it's nice to feel that way, but there's no guarantee it will last. And the joy in the psalm is not like that. The joy that we're talking about in the psalm is actually anchored in what God did. Uh, Have a look there at verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Or if you look at the footnotes, when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like those restored to health. See, the Psalms actually invite us to consider what they say in the context uh, of the story of ancient Israel recorded in the Bible. And that might sound a bit complicated and daunting, but I think we can understand this Psalm with really two essential details. Uh, This verse with two essential details, the background to the verse and the focus of the verse. The background and the focus. The background is God's just judgment and the focus is God's undeserved kindness. Uh, So first, the background, uh, Israel faced God's judgment. Uh, In around 1400 BC, long before this psalm was written, God had brought the nation of Israel into the land of Canaan to live a life of blessing as his people. But as time went on, Israel ignored God and decided they wanted to do things their way. They didn't want to do things God's way. And God warned them if they persisted in doing this, they'd face his judgment. If they decided they didn't want to live like his people, then they would not be his people they would be removed from God's land. They would be removed from Zion, Jerusalem, where Zion, uh, the mountain of Zion, was. Israel would be cut off from God's presence. They'd be removed from the eternal source of life and blessing. They'd be cut off from the source of lasting joy. But Israel continued to ignore God, and just as God had warned, well, they were forcibly removed from the land. Uh, The city of Jerusalem that is built on the mountain of Zion, uh, they were removed from that land. As the ancient kingdom of Babylon came in and conquered the land and removed the people from the land. The background to this verse is God's judgment. And so the focus is actually on God's undeserved kindness. God restored his people. God was under no obligation to do this. He was under no obligation to rescue Israel from exile, yet in his kindness he did. God brought Israel back from exile, back to the land, back to Jerusalem, back to Zion, back to the location of God's temple. God brought his people back to them, uh, back to him, the eternal source of life and blessing, the one who could give lasting joy. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. They're joyful because of a historical event, because of what God had done in the past. God had restored them. Their joy is anchored in God's past action. But there's a problem, which is pretty clear when you get to verse 4. They are still in need of restoration. 
joy is not their dominant experience. Instead, the dominant experience is barren dryness, weeping and death, uh, like streams in the Negev, the desert region to the south of Israel. They are dry. Things are so bad that the only thing flowing out of them are their tears. And in fact, even that image of going out to sow was an image that was associated with death. Uh, You know, in Western culture, we have the grim reaper, Uh, But actually, in the Hebrew worldview, it was the sowing, not the reaping, that was associated with death. They are, while they were overflowing with joy, they are now, have an experience characterised by dryness, sadness and death. They're still in need of restoration. And again, the Bible gives us the context to understand what these verses are getting at, to understand what's going on in the psalm. You see, while God brought the Jews back into his promised land, Things never really got back to the level they were expecting or that God had promised. After Babylon came, uh, the land was conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire. After that, Alexander the Great. When his empire fractured, the Romans came through. The land had never been restored to God's people in the way that it once had been. God had started the work of restoration, but God's people were still waiting for this work to be finished. And while they're waiting... Life is hard. It's characterised by dryness, by sadness, even by death. They still need restoration. But finally, we see that there is joy anchored in God's planned future. You see, the psalm is confident that God, who restored them, will finish what he started. The confidence is underlined in those two last lines of the psalm there. Have a look. Uh, Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out uh, weeping will return with songs of joy. See, earlier they looked back to what God had done, to what he had started, but now they look forward to God finishing it. Uh, They look forward to what God will do, completing that work of restoration. Joy is anchored in God's certain future. Now that might all seem a long way away from, well, is there lasting joy today? But Let's just start drawing some of these points together. The people in the psalm, they look back and remember what God has done. He restored them. They trust that God can get them to the future that he has promised. And I think the implication is that they can actually still hold on to that joy now, even in the midst of this dry, sad, barren time, because it's grounded in what God has done and what will do, and so is still working towards It's a song that reminds you of why you can be joyful, even in the midst of barren and sad times. And we know that songs can give you a bit of a boost. Uh, One band that you may know called the Cat Empire, they have a song called One Four Five. And the singer is feeling sick, he's feeling down, he's feeling depressed and gross, so he goes to the doctor. Uh, But the doctor, he turned and gave a grin and reached into his bag, but instead of an injection, got a record with a tag that said, Listen to this daily with hip shaking and such things. Then he puts the record on and grabs the mic and starts to sing. You need some one, four, five. That magical chord progression, that every kind of upbeat song, that when you hear it, you just feel better. And, you know, a happy and upbeat song can give you a boost. Uh, And that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Sometimes that's what you need in the morning to help get you going or in the afternoon as it's dragging on. Just a, a song that has a nice kind of uplifting boost. But the psalm offers actually something far more solid than a three-chord progression. 
it's anchored in what God has done in the past and what he will do in the future and so is working towards now. So we've done the hard work of thinking about uh, what Psalm 126 is getting at, but what about us now? Is there lasting joy today? Well, I think for all of us, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, uh, one of the challenges that this psalm raises is to ask, where do you seek happiness or joy? Can it sustain you even in the dark times? Can it bear the weight of the dry, sad barren times and death? Or do you need to find something stronger? It's one of the challenges that it raises for all of us. Uh, Now, we might be a long way off from ancient Israel, but there's actually quite a lot of parallels between the psalm and the situation that Israel were in and where we are at now, at least the picture that the Bible paints. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, you actually read this through the lens of Jesus there is still lasting joy today that has an anchor point in history, an anchor point in the future, and allows joy whatever the situation you are in. First, the anchor point in history. The message of the Bible is that God has acted to restore people to himself. See, just like when we looked at the psalm, it actually involves God's judgment and God's undeserved kindness. The background to the Bible uh, message is that each of us is cut off from God. Each of us in our own way have ignored him, uh, rejected his ways with the result that we've been cut off from God, the source of life and joy and blessing. Instead of living in harmony with him, we've opposed him and so we stand facing his judgment, his wrath and his anger. Uh, Yes, you know, we can find momentary happiness but it's always fleeting. It never lasts. And what's more, we can't do anything to change the situation that we're in. We can't earn God's forgiveness. God is under no obligation to restore us so that we can know him, so that we can have life and blessing. The background is that we are all facing God's judgment. But the message of Jesus is that in Jesus, God has shown undeserved kindness. He has acted to restore us. What's more, it's, a restor- it's the restoration that is the completion of what Psalm 126 was looking forward to. It's the fulfilment of what those people are looking forward to in the future. When Jesus died on the cross, God acted decisively to restore his people to himself, to restore anyone who follows Jesus to himself. And because God has acted to do this, well, by following Jesus, we can be connected to the source of lasting joy, of eternal life, and blessing. And so, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I think those are two key things to understand about the message of Jesus, the message of the Bible. We justly face God's judgment, but God shows us undeserved kindness in Jesus, the complete opposite of what we deserve. And so, if the question of, yeah, where do I look for happiness is one that actually you need to think some more about, I want to suggest that actually investigating the message of Jesus is something really worth doing. Uh, whether you want to do it with someone who uh, you've come here with or whether you'd like to do it with someone from City Bible Forum. Uh, You might like to tick that on your feedback form and let us know. But God God has also promised to restore us to him. It's not just a past action, it's a future uh, action as well. God has promised 
uh, future eternal life. It's not just about what's happening now. In fact, uh, the focus is on future, eternity with God. That is the time of life and blessing. Now, we expect things to be hard. We expect to follow, uh, for there to be suffering and difficulty and wars and natural disasters. But in the midst of those things, followers of Jesus know that actually lasting joy isn't grounded in present experience, but in God who acted to restore us to himself and guarantees that he will do it. That's why my friend, who I mentioned at the start, who had recently lost his wife, was able to say, even though everything is black, I can still rejoice. See, the psalm, it highlights the anchors of the joy that lasts. But it's also shown us that this joy is not just talking about it's always going to be happy times. It's relevant for times of sadness and dryness, even incredibly dark times. Because even in the dark times, the evidence of what God has done in the past, connected to the certainty of what God is doing in the future, means there is joy to hold on to now. Which means if you're a follower of Jesus, whatever your current life experience is, whether you're overflowing with joy or experiencing dryness or even overflowing with tears, the message of the psalm is to remember where the eternal source of joy is. To look back to what God has done, to look forward to what he's doing and remember the joy you have there. It may even be that in a time of uh, stress and tension in our offices as uh, people worry about their future, Uh, with looming threats of virus and sickness, uh, that actually we can live uh, with a quiet, calm confidence, knowing of where our end truly is. Was there joy that lasts? Psalm 126 says, yes, there is. It's anchored in God who acted to restore us in Jesus uh, and has promised eternity with him so that we can hold on to that joy no matter what situation uh, we face today. Oh, a concrete example of how God has made my life more joyful. Well, I, you know, it it might sound a little bit, uh, uh, a little, may could sound trite, but what uh, I think the psalm is saying in terms of looking back to what God has done, uh, I think the foundation is actually being able to look back and see, yeah, God uh, has rescued me, He has restored me in Jesus, and that's one of the. Uh, I think that's the key thing that actually means whatever else is going on. Uh, that is the the solid foundation that I have to to be uh, joyful, whatever else is going on. There are plenty of other things that are are incredibly uh, great. There's a house over my head, there's food in my stomach, there's toilet paper in the bathroom. Uh, There are many things to be thankful for. Um, uh, Recently, uh, we had... uh, So my son, Charlie, is 10 weeks old, and that's really lovely. Um, And those are good things. There's there's lots to be joyful there. Um, But the foundational thing is that he has restored me uh, in Jesus because all of those things, they're good, uh, but all of them can be taken away. All of them uh, can actually come under threat from different sources. Um, you know, whether it's running out, uh, things spoiling. Um, you know, I, I'm sure Charlie will grow up to uh, to you know disappoint me in some way, in the same way that I will disappoint him. Uh, if I my if my identity was grounded in in him being the perfect kid, uh, that would I think that would end up crushing him because I'd be expecting him to be something that he might not be. Uh, and so as, as as lovely as he is and as great as he is, he's still not a firm foundation for, for joy. Um, you know, even with the threat of, the, of virus, he could be taken away, which I really hope doesn't happen, but, uh, but Jesus can't be taken away uh, because actually God is eternal. Uh, and so that's, that's why there is joy that lasts.
Sure. So if, if eternal salvation is the, the, the thing to keep focusing on, what might you do to stay focused on that even just in the, the midst of the chaos of day-to-day? Uh, you know, the, the, cha- the tricky thing with this sort of answer is you can come up with a list of here's a bunch of different ideas, which may or may not work for you in, uh, in different situations. But I, I think uh, working... Uh, working to be thankful and remembering what are the things that you are thankful for is a key one. And based on what we've seen today, I think Jesus is always something you can be thankful for. And uh, so that is uh, one. And so making that a, a, a priority to do every day, I think, is a good thing because it's almost a little bit like uh, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy type principles there. You spend time thinking about it and actually it, it brings it to the front of your mind. And so when work is busy, when there's lots of things going on to clamour for your attention, uh, intentionally setting some time aside to remember uh, what God has done for us in Jesus, I think is a, a good thing. And so that would also, I think, include um, you know, actually spending some time reading the Bible as well, um, or you know, maybe listening to, uh, to to songs that actually remind you of that, depending on what is actually helpful for you. But doing something to keep reminding you and keep in the uh, the front and centre of your mind just what God has done for us in Jesus and giving thanks for that, I'd say are two, are two things that don't you could do without taking too much time. You could actually do it fairly quickly uh, each day. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.